look at the person next to you and say, God is good and you're good looking. You may be seated. So, we've been in a series called The Good Life, based on the Ten Commandments. And it's been, it's been great, hasn't it? It's, it's been challenging. And I'm just really glad to see that everybody came back from last week. You didn't get, uh, get scared away. No, but Pastor Darcy and Pastor Ryan's been doing an a excellent job of unpacking some, some difficult topics and, and challenging us with that. And so, so this week we're looking at commandment number eight, which is what? You must not steal. You must not steal. Has anybody robbed a bank this week? I think we may have a couple RCMP officers in the, in the house. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't suspect we have, so we're good that way. So as it is with, with many of these commands, it, it seems like on the surface that, that they're pretty easy to keep. However, we live in a broken world, and theft is, is all around us. The biggest heist that has touched me personally was, ironically, involving a safe. Uh, in our previous town of, of Vigerville, we had this old safe in the church office, and um, somehow it ended up in my office, but, but we, didn't, we, we weren't using this safe and one day I noticed that it was gone. I mean, when we moved it into the office, it took two or three of us to move it in. It, 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 it was heavy. It was big. And one day I just noticed it was gone. And I honestly, I don't even know how long it was gone because I just never noticed that it wasn't there anymore. And, you know, I looked at my door, and, and uh, there was no sign of a break in entry. We didn't have any, any record of people, uh, you know, having to repair anything for people breaking in. So I was like, this is an inside job, you know. <laughs> like, so I started asking uh, everybody I knew who had access to my office in the church. Is like, like, did you happen to do something with the safe? You know, did you recycle it or take it home or, or what? Nobody knew anything. This crime goes unsolved to this day. <laughs> the only thing I had that tied me to it was uh, a copy, and I actually have a picture of it, of the combination. This is the actual combination of this uh, safe that was, that was stolen. Um, I used to keep the safe open so that people would realize that this thing's not in use, you know, like it's no use trying to steal it because there's nothing in it. Until one day, my, one of my children, I don't know who it was, but they were very young, glad to have my middle daughter here with my grandchild. Um, anyway, a uh, little side there. Um, <laughs> and my son-in-law, by the way. Uh, <laughs> We did, we never, sorry, God, anyway, where were we? <laughs> yes, one of my children, when they were very young, come, came into my office, 
and they took a paperweight. You remember when we used to have paperweights? They took a paperweight off my desk and shoved it in the safe, closed the door, and locked it. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. I never got around to opening the safe and retrieving that ugly paperweight. Yes. So, if you're listening this morning and you stole the safe, I hope you had incredible struggle getting into that. And I hope that you really enjoy and value that ugly paperweight that you discover on the inside. That's great. On the serious side, uh, a few years before that, we were pastoring down in Lethbridge, Alberta, and the church was broken into one night, and uh, they managed to get into my office, among other offices, and, and they pilfered through my files. They, uh, they took a little bit of money that I had there and, and some other personal items. It was a strange feeling coming back into the office knowing that somebody had been there who wasn't supposed to be there. And for those of you who have been touched by, by theft, by robbery, you know uh, that strange feeling and, and, and what it is. Many of us have been touched by that, and many of us have stories, I'm sure. The Canadian Criminal Code defines theft as taking the property of someone else with the intent to take it away temporarily or permanently from its rightful owner. Theft is the most reported criminal code offense in BC in 2017. That's the latest data that's, that's been published. BC, in fact, we lead the way in Canada for theft under $5,000 that doesn't include motor vehicles. ABC, we're leading the way. We also lead the way in identity theft and identity fraud. Wow, BC. Throw a little bit of good news in here is that actually the, the, uh, the property offenses are actually on a downward trend. They are going down, so that's, that's good news. But another part of the reality that across Canada, shoplifting is actually continuing to be on the rise. In fact, it's a $5 billion problem for our retailers. $5 billion walks out the door. I've, I've read that in the United States, the stats are 1 in 11 people are shoplifters. 1 in 11 Wow. The reality is that the Eighth Commandment is still being broken. <laughs> it's still a part of what we experience. We live in a fallen world. We live in a desperate world. How many of you left your vehicle unlocked this morning before you came in here? You know, check that, check that button. You hear that beep? Is, that, is your door locked? We do that now, don't we? Uh, we don't leave the front door of our houses open anymore. And we, yeah, we used to do that. It wasn't that long ago. But things have changed. If, if, if you forgot your keys in the ignition, 
Would you be surprised that your vehicle is stolen, or would you be more surprised that it wasn't? Which one would it be? I think we'd be more surprised that it wasn't stolen. So this is, this is the world, and this is the mindset we are living with right now. Theft is prevalent. It's, it's, it's part of what we experience, and it touches us. But it's not limited to, to vehicles and, and possessions. It may be easy for us to pat ourselves on the back and say that, you know, our shoplifting days are, are long in the past when we were young and we took that chocolate bar. You know, it, it, that's all behind us. But what about the more subtle types of theft? Again, back in uh, 1999, I, I took on my first personal building project. Um, I built a, a single car garage in front of our mobile home in Edmonton. And the one thing that I wasn't confident doing was, was pouring the concrete foundation. And so I hired a crew to do it for me, and then it happened. The first time that I can recall where substantial money was involved, I was presented with two different prices. A cash price without GST and an invoice price with GST. Which one was the better deal? Well, financially, there was a better deal. But Heather and I decided we're going to pay the invoice price. What is the temptation there? What happens when we're confronted with a choice like that? Has, has the thought ever crossed your mind that the government gets way too much of my money anyway, they waste so much of it, so if I get a chance to stick it to them, to sidestep taxes, I'm going to take it? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? I'm not talking about uh, taking advantage of all the tax credits that are legal, and there, there's many of them, and there's ways to get our, our taxes down. But what about intentionally embracing opportunities to beat the taxmen that are actually not legal? You ever been tempted to do that? There's a cultural viewpoint that adds fuel to this thinking that not only makes it acceptable, but actually even celebrated. Now, I want you to be honest with me. How many of us love the story of Robin Hood? You love the story of Robin Hood? Now, maybe not so much the movie, but the story of Robin Hood. Prince of Thieves. Prince of Thieves. As a society... We love this story. In fact, we name entire streets in a community in cities after this story. We do, if you've never been down to Little John Way. You know, it's here. It's in Nanaimo. But not only in Nanaimo. In fact, my wife Heather, who grew up in Markham, Ontario, grew up on Sherwood Forest Drive. Again, just around the corner from Little John Way and, you know, these other streets all named after this idea, this story of, of Robin Hood. What makes this story so fascinating to us? What, what 
pulls us in? What attracts us to it? Well, Robin Hood, he is the hero because he's stealing from the evil, wealthy people, and he's giving to the noble, poor who need it. And why is that celebrated? Why do we celebrate that? Well, because we look at it through the lens of of good triumphing over evil, of justice winning in the face of corruption. But there's a subtle message underneath. There's a subtle message that, that we actually get bombarded with. There's a subtle message that is continually there and speaks to us and tries to speak to us that if a person has abundance, if an organization is financially successful, if big business or the government has a lot of dollar signs running through their books, especially if they are corrupt, they can afford to share that. In fact, they can afford to share it with with me. I mean, they won't miss it if it's just a very, very small portion of the incredible wealth that they have to deal with. They won't miss a few dollars here and there. In fact, I think I may be even entitled to it. The message is subtle. I don't pretend to to know or understand what has happened in our provincial legislature recently. But if the allegations are true, I'm sure the clerk and the sergeant-at-arms didn't wake up one morning and decide to defraud the government of a lot of money. This sense of entitlement starts small and grows slowly. That message is subtle. It, it, it beckons to us to be embraced. It beckons to us to think that way. We hear stories like what has happened in, in our provincial legislature among the other many, many stories that we hear every week in, in big business and whatever it might be where there's fraud or, or corruption that's exposed. And it undermines our trust. If you're human, it fuels your skepticism, <laughs> doesn't it? It wars at you. And I find it amazing how the ability of the news and especially social media today is such a powerful force in in convincing us and swaying our confidence in authority, in the wealthy. It's huge. And the temptation to call for and to even celebrate a real and present Robin Hood grows. In his book, Trust, Francis Fukuyama convincingly argues that the one single cultural characteristic most requisite of cultural success is trust. In other words, if there is a culture or society that's successful, that's prosperous, 
the one thing you can boil it down to would be trust. High trust societies tend to thrive economically, socially, and culturally as well. They, they just tend to thrive, while low trust societies tend to fail. Many, many of the low trust societies even, even institutionalize thievery. And it's been fascinating that, that during the Soviet years, many Russian novelists and, and prophets explained how institutionalized thievery was often the only way to survive. And the, the story is told of a factory worker who day after day attempted to steal items from the workplace. And every single day he took a, a wheelbarrow filled with factory items and Every day as he left, he was caught. Cylinders, iron ore, tools. His goal was to steal the items in order to sell them for cash for his family. Day after day, the attempted thievery was stopped and the stuff was taken away from him. Finally, it came to be his last day at the factory. The commissar was, was waiting for him to, to come out with the contraband. He got to the door of the factory, and sure enough, they, they pulled back the cover from the wheelbarrow, and there was stuff. They confiscated it, and they said to him, You are a fool. We caught you every single day. You got away with nothing. Ah, oh. Sir. Mr. Commissar, he answered, you are the fool. I have been stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> the institutionalization of thievery, it becomes expected in order to survive in some cultures. One of our, our pastor friends in Ukraine is a youth pastor and he was sharing with us something that was difficult for our Canadian minds to even wrap itself around the fact that he held an actual business license to copy and distribute DVD movies in his region. And while we were there, we actually watched a movie on DVD that was already voiced over with Russian voices that was just being released into theaters in Canada. How did that happen? He was a bona fide licensed pirate entitled on paper by his local government to do what he did. And I was suggesting with Pastor Ryan this morning, maybe that's a way to fund their missions trip as, as you, I don't know, might be an idea. But entire countries run on bribes and corruption and corruption in, in government, corruption in law enforcement, corruption in the judicial system. But it destroys the trust of the society. And this is what God was saying in a loud and clear voice to the nation of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt and heading towards setting up this brand new society, 
he was saying loud and clear, if you want a prosperous nation, you must not steal. You see, this is being spoken to a nation that had grown up as slaves. They didn't own property. They were the property that was owned. Whatever possessions they may have had were were either given to them or they had stolen them. That was the only two ways that they could actually possess something. They were not given the opportunity to earn and then purchase property. But everything was about to change. Now they had been freed from that bondage of slavery. They were no longer in slavery. And God was leading them to the promised land, a land of abundance, a a land that the Bible uses the phrase, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey, just saying that this is a prosperous land. This is a land of plenty. This is a land of opportunity. And they were going to have opportunity to own land and own livestock and make a living for themselves. And God was saying that in order for this to work, in order for them to be a prosperous nation, they needed to have a societal trust. Don't steal each other's stuff. God was was pointing this way to the good life. In fact, if you read some of it, there's a lot of, of ink given to the fact that it was so important that when they staked out the property lines, make sure that that stake stays where it was put. Don't move it. It was that important. God said, you don't do this. You don't steal. If you want to be prosperous, you don't steal. And of course, the nation of Israel comes into the promised land and years pass, And they start to stray away. And what does God do? He raises up prophets. And again, a lot of ink is given to the prophets in this very thing that they they railed, they thundered against the oppression of the poor, the, the thievery, the cheating, the larceny, and saying, you're doing this. And because you're doing this, you're undermining the trust that brings a stable economy, that brings a stable culture, that brings stable commerce. It undermines it. And in fact, it hinders God's ability to pour out his blessing upon you as a nation. You must not steal. It, it, it speaks to more than just money and property. It speaks to more than just dishonesty in, in business dealings. Those intangibles are more difficult to see. Things like plagiarism, stealing other people's ideas, taking credit for things that didn't originate with you and not giving credit to who it did originate with. Stealing from your family by being a workaholic and never being at home. The Bible talks about stealing from your spouse spouse by withholding sex and marriage. 
just how to get the sex word in there again uh, this week. If you didn't hear last week, you wouldn't have got that joke. Sorry. But it, it actually calls it stealing from your spouse when you withhold in marriage. Even stealing from God himself the one who instituted this law in the first place. The prophet in the Old Testament asked the question, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Malachi goes on to explain that the people were stealing from God because they were withholding their tithes and offerings. They weren't giving. It was hindering God's ability to bless the nation. Why? Because trust was being undermined. The trust between God and his people was being undermined because they were stealing from God. I mean, just step back for a second and ask the question, in our minds, do we really think it's possible to steal from God? I mean, God... In his word tells us that he owns it all. He owns everything. He lacks for nothing. Then why do I need to give him something? He won't miss it if it doesn't come. He's he's got it all anyway, so he's not going to miss it if it doesn't come. Does that voice sound familiar? God doesn't want or need our money. He wants our hearts. But he doesn't have our hearts unless he has our money as well. He doesn't have us all unless he has our pocketbook, unless we've given it to him. C.S. Lewis wrote, God loves us. Not because we are lovable, but because he is love. Not because he needs to receive, but because he delights to give. God's very nature is generosity. That's who God is. Do we rob him? Or has his nature rubbed off on us? Is who he, have we embraced who he is? And do we reflect his character and his nature in how we live? Or do we withhold and rob God? Albert Moeller, in his book, Words from Fire, says this. We rob God of the praise due his name. We rob God of the worship that it is, is his proper expectation. We rob God of time and talent that we invest in lesser things. We rob God of possessions and money. We rob God of our priorities and our passions. In all these ways and more, we rob our creator, the one who has given us life. 
And he goes on to say, as God's new covenant people in Jesus, we must view our wealth not so much as a sign of divine favor, but as a sign of incredible responsibility. It's not enough that we do not steal. We must put all that we are and all that we have at the disposal of God, understanding that he ultimately owns all. We must be willing to give all, and as Jesus has said so pointedly, to lose all for the sake of the kingdom. Stealing stands in direct contrast to the very nature of God himself, his delight to give. And even as a stable economy and a stable commerce is built on trust, our lives are built on trust. And the good life is built on our trust in the very nature of a giving God, a generous God. And I love what Pastor Ryan said a few weeks ago. In the kingdom of this world, justice is served when a thief goes to jail. But in the kingdom of God, justice is served when a thief becomes generous. And in in the letter, in the New Testament letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul, the one penning the letter, he says this, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. And then give generously to others. There it is. The contrast to, to stealing, the antidote to stealing is to be generous. And whenever we rub up against the nature of God, his nature should rub off on us. When we open our hearts to who Jesus is, Jesus steps in and he brings transformation to us. And he desires to to bless the work of our hands. Hands that are not after much and after more, but, but after being prosperous and being blessed in order to be generous. And this is where the burglar becomes the the benefactor. The crook becomes the contributor. The thief becomes a generous person. That's what Jesus does. That's the work he does in our lives. Jesus himself puts a direct contrast between him and the thief in John chapter 10. And he says this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or another version says, my purpose is to give you abundant life. That's what Jesus offers. That's what he gives. Whose purpose are you living from? The thief or the one who Jesus goes on to say sacrifices his life, gives everything, lays down his life as the good shepherd. Whose purpose does your life reflect? Whose purpose does your inner thought reflect? 
I just find it so fascinating that when Jesus did lay down his life, when he was lifted up to be crucified, on his right and on his left were two thieves. And there was a difference between these two thieves. One thief recognized who Jesus was and knew that what Jesus represented wasn't reflected in how he lived his life, and he repented. And Jesus replied, this day you will be with me in paradise. The other thief didn't repent. Both thieves, but much different responses. And this morning, I want to ask you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just quiet ourselves together as as we close and just ask the Lord to search your heart, how you think, what is it that, that drives you, what purpose do you live from, and is there anything in your heart that reflects that of a thief? And the wonderful thing is that we, even as the thief on the cross, have the opportunity to repent. And when we do, there's forgiveness, there's restoration, there's healing, there's transformation in our hearts. I don't know if, uh, uh, Kevin, if you would come. And, and just as this is, uh, he plays, can we just take a few moments? As we close, and just quiet ourselves, if you, if you want to uh, close your eyes, um, you can do that. But I just invite all of us, can we just take a few moments and just be honest before the Lord? Can we allow him to, to look inside of our hearts? And just allow Holy Spirit to, to, to show us if there's anything there that doesn't reflect his heart, but reflects the heart of a thief. What do you need to let go of this morning? Maybe you're here and it's a a fear of security, a a fear of the future. Will, Will you have enough to live? Will you have enough to survive? And that fear is very real and very strong and overpowering. Is that something that that is there in your heart? Do you need to let go of that this morning? And embrace God the Father as the one who comes and says, I will provide for you. Or is there a a sense of greed in there that, that, you know what, I I want more. I don't have enough, I want more. And how much is enough? Have you ever asked God, how much is enough? What's the circle that you want me to live in and anything over and above, outside of that circle is is extra and and for others, not for me. 
Have you closed that circle around you? Is there any greed in there? Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, Dallas, I, I don't steal. I, don't have, I have a, a strong moral foundation and I'm good with that. But maybe you've never completely stepped into generosity. You don't have a, a problem with the thief kind of side of things, but you've never fully stepped into generosity. Jesus says, you know what? Don't worry about tomorrow. I've got you. All of your needs I provide. And Jesus again and again comes back and he says to you and me, he says, I'm your provider. I'm your source. All blessings flow from, from me. Yes, I own it all and I'm willing to share. I'm willing to give. I've given it all already. You don't have to worry. Trust And one other area that, that sometimes sneaks in is that we've insulated ourselves from the need around us. And sometimes the need is very overwhelming. And so we just close ourselves off. We just back off. And it's too much. But to realize that the, the greatest need in our society, the greatest need today is the need for people to know Jesus. And is it that desire, is it that need that, that drives your life, that brings purpose to who you are and how you live, how you've chosen to live? Maybe you need to ask the Lord to soften your heart or take down those walls that are there. Now, Jesus, just in this, the quietness of this moment, would you shine the light of your presence upon us? And Holy Spirit, I thank you so much that you don't come with guilt, but you come with con conviction and you come with an answer if we respond. You come with healing. You come with freedom. You come with life. And Lord, we sung about it this morning. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And as your truth comes to us, that you also bring your life and we don't have to stay where we're at. We don't have to continue to carry those things that hinder the blessing that you want to pour out upon us and the abundance that you want to pour through us. Lord, empower us, strengthen us to, to stand up, to stand up to the plate and repent where we need to repent, ask forgiveness where we need to for, ask forgiveness and receive it, Lord, and receive the freedom and the life and the empowerment by your spirit to live the way you have called us to live, the way you've purposed us to live, with hearts of generosity, lives filled with your abundance, Jesus.
Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for what you're speaking and what you will do, Lord, in the, in the hours and, and days to come. Don't let us go until we've responded to what you're convicting us of, Lord. Show us the way. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord.